You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. Guys, this is Dan Buettner, the Blue Zones guy. Uh, Dan has written a really influential book by going around and saying, well, where are there pockets of long-lived people and what do they do? What can we learn from that? And uh, I just thought it was a really cool approach. So um, it's about time we have a conversation. So thank you, thank you, thank you for coming on the show. I'm delighted. And so if I could just put a finer point on the on the introduction, you know, I'm, yeah. people, I, I write for National Geographic. It's one of the hats I wear. But um, for the for the Blue Zone project, it wasn't so much about me. I, I led a very big team of people. For thousands of years, civilizations around the world have used silver for healing. But once antibiotics entered the field, we started to forget about how powerful silver is. The reason it works is that silver is well studied to inhibit the growth of germs, fungi, and viruses. True 47 has an array of really cool silver products. They're custom formulations of spritzes, face toners, mask mists, and nasal inhalers. All their products include organic essential oils and the highest quality silver. True 47 makes amazing 99.99% ionically plated silver wearables and accessories that I actually use. Check out true47.com slash Dave. That's T-R-U-47.com slash Dave to get the best high quality silver products that you can use for your health, for your home, and for your body. Use code Dave20 to get 20% off site-wide. That's tru47.com slash Dave. Use code Dave20 valid for a limited time. I write for National Geographic. It's one of the hats I wear. But um, for the for the Blue Zone project, it wasn't so much about me. I, I led a very big team of people. The first team of, of um, experts we used were demographers. And we literally parsed through worldwide census data to identify uh, demographically confirmed areas where people are living measurably longer. So it wasn't just sort of the hearsay Vilcabamba Valley or Hunza, Hunza Valley of Pakistan. These were these were real places that we, uh, before we even uh, began to guess at what these people are doing, we confirmed their ages uh, with a pre-expedition. We found five of these blue zones. And um, then I brought another wave of experts. They're mostly epidemiologists, anthropologists, medical researchers. And the theory was because only about 20% of how long we live as a population uh, in the developed world is dictated by genes, the other 80% is something else. Based on that assumption, then we went to all five of these areas, and I've been doing it now for 20 years, to find the common denominators or the correlates, the things that seem to be happening in all five blue zones. And um, from that, distill some insights on how we might be able to live longer. And the value proposition I have, Dave, is not that, you know, I, I don't pretend people can live to 120. I think we're a ways from that. Uh, theoretically, I think we can. But the average maximum life expectancy of the human species at the current level of science in the developed world is about 95. What does average max mean? Like, what does that mean for 95? That means if we did everything right, um, uh, and you're an average person, 
uh, we should be able to make it to 95. The average person could make it to 95. Okay. Well, but remember, you have you have outliers in one extreme or who, you know, will run marathons and take all the right vitamins and be dead at 50 by some weird cancer. And then you have people who can drink a fifth of liquor and smoke cigarettes and they make it to 100. And uh, but those are, you know, tiny fraction. But most of us within two standard deviations of the mean, uh, the capacity of our human machine uh, right now is 95. Um, the potential, you know, and I know your work um, uh, pushes those boundaries. And theoretically, I think it's possible, but we're not seeing it yet. I, I absolutely hear what you're saying. Uh, yeah, today, if you just kind of do some of the stuff and you live an average life, yeah, that's there. And I have zero evidence that 180, which is my, you know, my minimum acceptable goal, um, is the right number. All I did is I looked at, you know, when I look at our outliers, we've got probably 120 um, as, as the oldest living human. And by the way, is that a real number? Do you believe that one? Yeah. Um, Marie Camay, yes, I do. I know there's some controversy that she may have been assuming her daughter's identity. She made it to 122 in five months and marked the you know, outer limit. But, you know, you, you look at the number of super centenarians, the people who make 110 or it's not growing as a proportion of the population. So we, you know, we fall off, we fall off an exponential cliff. It's somewhere around 110 or or 120. And all I did is I said, I want to do 50% better than our best outlier today and use a whole bunch of technology and every other learning that we have and see what happens. And, you know, there's a great chance that I'll die trying, but I'm going to have fun doing it and hopefully learn a few things, right? There, there's, I didn't see a lot of downside for that kind of a goal. And there isn't. And by the way, you can make it. And if you look at, you know, life expectancy for American men uh, in 1900 was 40, you know, we're now up to about 75, which is almost a doubling. So, you know, if we double it again, your 180 is definitely within reach. But it's probably by a technology or intervention we don't we 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 may be merging towards it, but we don't know what it is yet. You know the the big the big reason we're living so much longer now is because of penicillin and vaccines. You know the, that created the biggest because what used to kill us, you know, in the before about 1930 was infectious disease. You'd step on a nail and you'd be dead in two weeks. Uh, most people who died in World War One died of infection, not of bullet wounds. And, um, you know, and penicillin came along and all of a sudden, boom, we had a way to deal with a lot of the infectious diseases and then antibiotics. You couldn't have foreseen that somebody would, you know, discover orange mold and the connection between that and and uh, increasing our immunity. Uh, likewise, you know, the, there'll probably be some genetic intervention, you know, some CRISPR um, overture, which... Uh, may add that, but my work, Dave, mostly focuses on, all right, uh, here's, these are real people living right now who are living about 10 years longer than we are, uh, biologically younger at every decade, probably a decade younger by a lot than their chronological age. And they're suffering uh, a fifth the rate of diabetes, of heart disease, a 10th the rate of diabetes, uh, one in one case, about a tenth of rate of uh, dementia. So I'm saying, okay, here are these real people. What are they doing to achieve a healthy age, 95, 
occasionally 100. And then, you know, if the intervention comes along in our lifetime, uh, you'll be ready for it. You know, your body, because the first interventions will probably just slow aging, not reverse it. So you want to be in as best shape you can right now. And that's kind of a, a Ray Kurzweil approach. Um, what you know, Ray's perspective is that, you know, singularity is here. You just have to last long enough. And, you know, there's a bunch of people on that kind of a train. You know, you're going to upload yourself to the Internet and live forever that way. And do you think that's a kind of life extension? Are you into that? Not really. Going to freeze I, your head when you die? I think I'll do that, yeah. actually. You are? Uh, are you on the list? Is that like a necklace for the head freezers? I haven't noticed. This is a necklace for a coin I found in Jerusalem. Um, oh, cool. But, but um, um, it's, uh, well, we, I mean, I think the best chance that, you know, you can be reincarnated is to, to freeze yourself. Much better chance than I think, you know, cremation or, you know, having the worms take you over. So that's kind of a fun way to do it. I have several friends who are doing that right now. I, I, I feel like I'm far away in, enough, far enough away from death that I haven't really started making arrangements yet, but who knows? That is so interesting. I, it's, it's a rare treat to be able to talk with another radical long-term life thinker and to be able to go deep on stuff like that. You know, I, I wrote a cover story for National Geographic also on happiness in a book called The Blue Zones of Happiness, where I took a data-based approach to what drives happiness. And most of what brings true happiness um, what people think bring true happiness is misguided or just plain wrong. But one of the happy coincidences of the blue zones, longest of women are in Okinawa, longest of men are in the highlands of Sardinia, uh, the island of Ikaria, Greece, uh, off the coast of Turkey, the Nicoya Peninsula of Costa Rica, and among the Seventh-day Adventists, those places are in the top quintile, of the happiest places. So unlike sort of, you know, these Silicon Valley billionaires who are, you know, super busy and uh, spending all their money on these heroic interventions and metformin and, and testosterone, and none of which, by the way, have proven to stop slower reverse aging, and there's some controversy. The, the, the methods that, or the insights that I've harvested from Blue Zones are not only getting these people an extra 10 years, but they're also happy. And so, you know, in the same way that you're taking this sort of, um, uh, 180 year approach to, uh, or afterlife approach that also makes you happier right now. It's, we, we share that, that, uh, I guess, parallel philosophy. We, we do. And happiness matters so much that most people, if you were to say, do you want 90 happy years or a hundred shitty years? They're going to say, I want 90 happy years. So it, it's it's almost the opposite of the Amazon selling strategy. It's about quality over quantity. But if you can get both, you'd like both. But buying a whole bunch of cheap crap doesn't actually, it's not a very good strategy for the environment or for your house or for anything else. And that's why I think there's a rebellion against cheap plastic disposable crap. You don't want a cheap plastic disposable life either. And uh, so I, I love it that you're studying what they're doing. Well, the you same, ever, go okay. ahead. Okay. Well, I'm just saying that longevity and happiness right now are so interlaced, you can't pull the two apart, really. The same things that are driving longevity also drive happiness. Getting enough sleep, having a sense of purpose, being socially connected, um, and having low stress. These things, um, they're, they're, they go hand in hand. In fact, we know that 
if you can manage your life to be in the top quintile of the highest levels of subjective well-being or life satisfaction, it's worth about six years of life expectancy over being in that that bottom six. So, you know, one of the one of the best longevity tonics is happiness. And there are lots of things we know that you can do that stack your your deck in favor of happiness. In fact, one of the the best definitions of hell you could have is to say an unhappy, very long life, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, why, why would you want that? So you, you make a great point about happiness. Um, have you ever done work with Dean Ornish, like the, the yeah. super low fat guy? He's a go. He's a good friend of mine. So, so when, when he did his original work, he said, well, guys, we're going to do lifestyle and meditation interventions and a diet, right? But then he talks about the diet as, as having caused the changes, even though it looks like lifestyle meditation and other studies had the same changes he was describing to the diet. Like he, he had the, the mix of those two so intermingled that statistically it was hard to prove that eating you know, a very high starch, high sugar, low fat diet um, was, was causative for that. In your happiness books, or happiness research, how do you break apart the value of community, strong social structure, getting enough sleep from all the other variables, like the sunshine angle of sun, minerals in the water? I mean, it could be anything. It's a conundrum for all anti-aging research. You know, you you look for correlations. The the way that the happiness research, which is done worldwide, largely by Gallup, but also the Latino barometer and the Euro barometer, they ask people to imagine themselves um, uh, on a scale of one to 10 with 10 being their best imaginable life and one being their worst. And then they ask them 75 other questions about how often they socialize and the level of their health, their BMI, their religion, their income level, their sex, their age, et cetera, et cetera. And then through regression analysis, which I'm sure you're familiar with, you can find out exactly what things most strongly correlate with people reporting a very high level of happiness. And when you do that at a worldwide level, you get a pretty strong correlation. And I don't try to draw a causative relationship between these two. I like to phrase it in, in stacking the deck uh, so that's something that's very highly correlated with high life satisfaction. If you do it, there's no downside to it, but it it uh, stacks, it puts more aces in your your life's blackjack deck, and that you know you too will will um, you know. And some of those things we know that work are having five good friends you can count on on a bad day. Um, you know your the quality of your social. Yeah, interactions and connections, the number one driver by a margin of how happy you are. So when you say to yourself, well, I want to be happy. Um, should I go out and be, read a bunch of positive psychology class books or should I uh, take a Tony Robbins class or should I work my ass off and make another hundred thousand dollars this year? Um, knowing that none of those will significantly add to your long-term happiness starts to drive you towards maybe things that do like, you know, being generous and remembering your friend's birthday and really nurturing friendships. I mean, that, that's the stuff that really works. And it's, you, there's not, I can't sell you anything, you know, and, and marketers 
don't necessarily seize that because there's not, not a lot of money in it. But we know, statistically speaking, it's one of the strongest things you can do. Right. Just having those, having those connections. And yeah. it, it's funny when you're looking at, at kind of, I don't know if isolated pockets is the right word, but, but you're, in your research, you came across intact communities that, that, that kind of had defined boundaries. So you could find where the super centenarians are like these very well, long. I, I want to stop you there because I get in trouble with the, uh, we don't assert there are more super centenarians there. The, okay. the, 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 what we found areas that has the lowest rate of middle age mortality. Would you believe it if I said that there is an ancient plant medicine that might be the alcohol of your future? What if it didn't impair your fine motor skills and it wasn't addictive, but it made you feel really good? Would you believe me? Well, it turns out there is such a thing, and it's from a company I've been working with for several years now called True Kava. Kava is a natural plant medicine that South Pacific Islanders have been using for more than 3,000 years as a safe, non-addictive alternative to drugs and alcohol. Kava makes you feel relaxed and gives you mental clarity at the same time. That's because when you drink kava, it turns on chemicals that make you feel good, like dopamine, serotonin, and GABA. But what I like best is that you get all those mental effects without the impairment that you might get from a lot of other substances. True kava is a new form of stabilized, full-spectrum kava, and of course, it's third-party lab-tested, so you always know that it's clean and you know what you're getting. Go to truekava.com, T-R-U-K-A-V-A.com, and use code DAVE15 for 15% off. Give it a try. Toxins in the air, especially mold toxins, are a really big deal, especially if you're in a part of the world that's moist or has hurricanes or it's just in a rainforest like the Pacific Northwest. That's why I've been using hypoallergenic air purifiers in my home and even when I travel to areas where I know there's a mold problem. HypoAir's technology is different with a variety of H13 HEPA and activated carbon products. What I really like is that they have a technology that can naturally suppress mold growth on surfaces 24-7. These are surfaces around the filter. HypoAir's proprietary technologies reduce your environmental exposure to toxins. They can even improve sleep quality and help build resilience. I notice a difference from breathing really clean air. Learn about what you can do to fix your air at hypoair.com slash Dave, and they'll even give you an extra 10% off. That's H-Y-P-O-A-I-R.com slash Dave. Get 10%. I want to stop you there because I get in trouble with the, uh, we don't assert there are more super centenarians there. The, okay. the, 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 what we found areas that has the lowest rate of middle age mortality. In other words, they're mm-hmm. hitting that okay. age, healthy age 95 without chronic disease. Uh, you know, a fifth the rate of chronic disease that we suffer. And necessarily because more people are hitting that 95, there, there's also more people bleeding into their hundreds. So um, I, I'm not saying that these people have a greater physical capacity or greater genes than us. They're living a longer time because they're avoiding the diseases that foreshorten our lives. Now, some of the, some of the, the effect, almost everything that I've heard about you um, from the research I've done just over the years, 
um, has been that you were sort of targeting people who lived a long time. But so you, from the beginning, the target was just to find uh, like a higher health standard in middle age, but it wasn't to find people who were living longer. That's just kind of sensationalism from the press. Well, I mean, there are places that live it. These play, people live 10 years longer, but it's not an obsession with centenarians. And uh, some- That wasn't some, the target. That, was, that wasn't the target. But, you know, not coincidentally, uh, in Okinawa, you have a population of, uh, the, it's especially the women, not the men in Okinawa, but you for women over 60, that cohort, you'll find about uh, 30 times more of them reach age 100 than a similar cohort in the United States. And in uh, Sardinia, they have about 10 times more male centenarians per thousand people or per hundred thousand than you would expect to see in a similar population in the United States. Um, but that's just because they're not dying younger. They're not prematurely dying of heart disease, diabetes, certain types of cancer and dementia. Okay. That, that makes a lot of sense for our listeners. What did you find? Like, like what, what are these people doing to live longer? You don't think it's genetic because you have multiple pockets around the world. So is it like 50% diet, 50% happiness? Is it, you know, 70, 30? Like, like what, what's the secret formula? Well, I'll talk about diet in a minute. And, you sure. know, I'm, I have this new book, The Blue Zone, American Kitchen, which I'd like to talk about. But Oh, yeah. In fact, I've got it. I should grab my copy. It's right over there. I unpacked it. I found it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, OK, bottom line. Uh, in none of these blue zones do people try to live a long time. None of them are pursuing diets. There's not gyms. There's not exercise programs. They're not calling 800 numbers to buy supplements. Um, they just live their lives. But the big insight is they don't pursue health and longevity, but rather it ensues. They, their micro decisions on a day-to-day, hour-to-hour basis are marginally better. So they're nudged into moving every 20 minutes or so because they live in environments where every time they go to work or a friend's house or out to eat, it occasions a walk. Uh, they have gardens out back, like I know you do. You know, I was watching your great kale ornament uh, um, video <laughs> today. Um, they have, their houses aren't full of mechanical conveniences. So they're still doing housework by hand and kitchen work by hand and yard work by hand. Um, the option to be lonely uh, isn't there because if, if you're not showing up to church or the local party, somebody's pounding on your door, uh, the cheapest, um, most accessible and most socially accepted food over time, and by the way, the most delicious has been whole food plant-based. Um, I'll, I'll unpack the diet a little bit more but that's mostly what we've been eating. And purpose comes with mother's milk. Uh, there's vocabulary for purpose. So you were talking about the corrosive nature of stress. Uh, for a lot of Americans, it wakes up, it comes from waking up every morning and you know, not knowing what you're gonna do with your life or if there's somebody gonna take care of you. Uh, this isn't an issue in blue zones because you have a strong sense of purpose and you're surrounded by a family that's gonna take care of you till you're 105. And, and, and then, and so, you know, these are the things that I assert we can learn from and we ought to be paying attention to, uh, not only if, you know, you 
you have a family and you want your family to thrive, but also if you're a government and uh, you're interested in lowering healthcare costs and raising the general well-being of the people who voted you into office. And as I mentioned before we started rolling, uh, I just moved to Austin. I've been in this house for like six days. So my laptop stand is a cardboard box. My backdrop is a white wall, but I do have your book. Oh, thank which you. Is <laughs> the Blue Zones American Kitchen, uh, which is cool. And just as a fellow author, um, congrats. It's um, it it's always like giving birth to have a new, uh, to write a new book. There's just so much that goes into it, uh, which is really cool. So 100 recipes to live to 100. So tell me your dietary philosophy. You mentioned whole foods, plant-based. I'm, I'm going to want you to define that a little bit more. Yeah, and then I'll connect it to the book you're holding there. So, you know, it's Part of a National Geographic project, we did a, a meta-analysis. So if you not want to know what a centenarian ate to live to be 100, you can't just say, what have you been eating? Because yeah, A, they don't even know. Jay, they don't remember. You know, if I asked you what you ate a week ago Tuesday for lunch, you might not be able to tell me. In order to ascertain that, we found 155 dietary surveys done in all five blue zones over the past 85 years. And then we did a meta-analysis or sort of a worldwide averaging. So if you look at their traditional diets, they're eating mostly whole food, plant-based, about 65% complex carbohydrates, not simple carbohydrates. And the five pillars of every blue zone diet are uh, whole grains, greens, tubers like sweet potatoes, nuts, and then beans. And if you're eating a cup of beans a day, that's associated with about four extra years of life expectancy. Uh, they did eat meat, but only about five times per month on average. So my philosophy begins and stops with, all right, here, here are the manifestly longest of people. Here's the way they've been eating. This might be something you want to pay attention to. And I don't get involved with sort of the micronutrients or, or, or trying to deconstruct uh, the, the nutrients in each of those general food categories. Uh, but I do, you know, over 20 years of seeing these people and eating with them, I, I'm of the strong opinion that that's, correct, that's directionally correct as a way to eat. I, uh, I ended up writing my big diet book oh, like a dozen years ago. And I found out that legumes, uh, beans, um, were causative, and so were nightshade vegetables. It were causative problems for me, and I wrote about lectins. And then later, uh, Dr. Gundry, who you probably have, have met, because he worked with Lo in Loma Linda with one of the Blue Zones, but he also came out like me saying, I think beans, even though the fiber is good in them, the anti-nutrients are so strong that they're causing problems in the population he worked with. And so I, I, I'm genuinely scratching my head going, all right, Dan, I hear what you're saying. When I try and do it, it destroys my quality of life. What, what could be going on there? Well, two things. You're an N of one. And uh, yeah. secondly, these, um, I, I don't know if, you know, if you cook beans and then rinse them, you get rid of the vast majority of lectins. If you, you know, if you eat kidney beans and crunch them. So, um, so I'm, I don't, I don't necessarily buy the, um, the lectin argument. I, I, 
But really, I'll just stop and end with, if it is indisputable that the longest lived populations are eating lots of beans throughout their lives and, 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 and producing much better health income outcomes than we are in America. I cannot tell you if it's, it's because of the beans for sure. I can't tell you if, if um, there's something else in their diet that's explaining their longevity, but I can tell you a major feature of every diet of longevity, including by the way, Loma Linda. So I'm not sure, um, you know, if, if Gundry looked at the Adventist health study, which followed 103,000 Adventists for 30 years, he would see a ton of beans in their diet. So I'm not sure how he, he uh, uh, discerned that, you know, beans were somehow bad for the people living in Loma Linda. But, but, you know, I, I, I don't like drawing a causative, I can't say beans cause a long life, but I can say beyond a shadow of a doubt, <clears throat> people are living a long time, uh, have eaten a lot of beans throughout their lives. Um, what does a whole foods plant-based diet mean? Like, like, how do I know if it's a whole food? Because I know that I take the shell off my walnut, for instance. So it, like that's already processed to a certain point. How do I know, like, do I eat the, the skin of the edamame or do I just eat the inside? Like, like, what does whole food mean the way you use it? Well, it's a single ingredient food. I, I guess that's a good place to start. Uh, if you read the label and there's only one ingredient, um, I mean, there's there's nuances there, but um, it, it grows um, and so it's taken out of the ground or it's plucked off a tree or a plant. Um, but, uh, it, it avoids the, um, it doesn't have added sugar. I think is a really important, um, uh, component to it. It doesn't have uh, ingredients you can't pronounce. Uh, it doesn't have emulsifiers, um, or, um, you know, you know, to, to your point, it's not ground down too much. Like, uh, if you overgrind even whole wheat, uh, it's it's not as healthy as it, if you grind it less. It, your smoothie is healthier if you don't overblend it, and it's still a little bit chunky because your glycemic load is. You know, I took a lesson from the Sardinian Blue Zone. I start my day uh, every day with a really really chunky minestrone, and it's very very uh, uh, low glycemic, so it it uh, absorbs very slowly. Your, your microbiome loves it because there's about 40 different uh, species of fiber in there. You know, you have about a thousand species of bacteria. They like a variation of fiber, um, full of vitamins, full of soluble, soluble fiber and the chunky stuff. So um, I don't get a spike like I would if I started my day with cereal. I don't get bogged down like I would if I ate bacon, bacon and eggs for breakfast. Um, that's how I start my day. And it's all, it's, all whole foods just happen to be cooked together. And it's delicious, by the way. It sounds delicious. I'm just thinking that if I ate that, I would have a food baby. Um, I would have arthritis for a week because of the, the nightshades. And I, I am nightshade sensitive. And about a you quarter froze. of people appear to be. Like 28% of rheumatoid arthritis is caused by the nightshade family. Uh, and I'd be farting all the time. Um and, and I'm, I'm sort of, and I'd be radically hungry after I ate that. Like I, I would just be like, my body wants me to eat sugar right now to help deal with the load that it, of inflammation it just got. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, 
I think uh, the pursuit of finding what works for you and your considerable contribution to that body of work is very important. Um, so by no means would I say, you know, eat this way because it's worked for centenarians around the world. It has to work for you. Um, but I will say when it comes to microbiome, you know, usually the best way, you know, if you're feeding your microbiome, the 100 trillion or so bacteria in your gut, meat, cheese, and eggs, a certain type of bacteria blooms and it dominates. And then the next day, if they've been eating ribeye every day, if they've been fed ribeye every day, and then all of a sudden you eat a cup of beans, yeah, you might get farty. But, you know, the way to train it is to start with a teaspoon or a tablespoon of beans and day one, and then two tablespoons, and then wake, work your way up to a cup. But yeah. um, um You'll get know. less farty that way. It that one didn't stop the joint issues for me, but it did stop the farty issues. I mean, I, I love refried beans. I used to eat them a lot when I was younger, um, but I don't because of just kind of dialing in the personal precision. So thank you for sharing that tidbit. You, you put something else in your book. I wanted to compliment you on. This is a page that says regional and contemporary American. You actually like drove through uh, the country went on, on a road trip and you talk about Appalachian food, coastal food, you know, Persian, Japanese, it, it, it's, it's pretty cool that you're teasing out what's happening in the real world that's still based on eating real food that's single ingredient, which I, I like a lot about your approach there. It, it is a way more natural approach than, you know, the Pop-Tarts diet. <laughs> so if I could just say, you know, the idea behind the Blue Zone American Kitchen. Um, so, well, from what I discerned from the longest of populations, I did come up with a dietary pattern. And then I uh, worked with an NYU researcher to find subcultures in America that followed this same dietary pattern. And we found it among the African, Asian, Latin, and Native Americans living around 1900-1920. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. And then I uh, worked with an NYU researcher to find subcultures in America that followed this same dietary pattern. And we found it among the African, Asian, Latin, and Native Americans living around 1900, 1920. And then I found during the pandemic, while you know other people were locking down, uh, it took a National Geographic photographer and a sprinter van. And we went from Maine to Miami to Maui and then up to Minnesota. Uh, and we found 55, uh, I would say, heritage chefs who cooked, who either are bringing back this traditional way of eating. It's usually immigrants, by the way, fusing the way they did things in the old country and new country influences, and then who could recreate these. And an important thing to remember, Dave, is we evolved as a species eat, eating this kind of food. 
So by the way, in, in blue zones, they're not vegan except for some Adventists. They, they love meat. And by the way, if, they, if they're given all the meat they, they want, they'll eat it all the time. In fact, we're seeing this in Sardinia uh, and not coincidentally. And they're also eating a lot more processed food. And almost every blue zone is disappearing as their dietary pattern starts to mimic you know, the standard American diet. So what, what we, I think we can both agree on is the standard American diet the way we're eating right now is killing us. Probably, I, oh, you know, yeah. I, I wrote an essay in the front of that book, Blue Zone American Kitchen, which will also appear in uh, mm. January's issue of National Geographic. Uh, but uh, according to the CDC, about 680,000 Americans will die this year prematurely because of the way we eat. And it doesn't have to be like that. You know, the way more people had died eating the standard American diet than have died in World War I, World War II, the Korean War, and Vietnam War combined. Uh, yet we don't spend nearly as much uh, effort and time trying to fix that as we do, you know, with the Veterans Administration. Of course, you know, people who give their life for our country, they need to be recognized. I'm just saying is, you know, we ought to be focusing on this other big problem, killing more of us. Completely agree. I mean, look at our reaction over the last couple of years uh, to something that is a tiny drop in the bucket compared to what's happening every year from preventable problems uh, driven by nutrition. Some stuff has come out around uh, from Oxford saying that in the U.S. Um, you can predict that there's going to be extreme longevity when there's an absence of vital registration. Uh, in other words, if they didn't have birth certificates, there's magically a lot more older people. Yes, I know that. Yeah, I'm sure you've come across the research. I'm going to explain it just a little bit for listeners. And just like, tell me what's going on with this. Because I think you're a smart guy. I think your heart's in the right place. I think you're doing the right thing. And it looks like from this, this paper, and there's a couple others, they're saying poverty, old age poverty, material deprivation, low income, high crime, remote region of, of birth, worse health than the general population, uh, and fewer nine and, uh, and other things like that predicted remarkable longevity. You're saying you're not looking at remarkable longevity, but what these guys are finding is that the areas, a lot of the areas that you've looked at, they have weird distributions of people where it looks like some people might have faked their birth certificates to avoid inheritance taxes. So you must have thought about this. You must have read the papers. Tell me your take on all this. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Um, we have when there's not birth certificates, there's always age exaggeration. With you know, I write for National Geographic, where the fact checkers occupy the corner office, and we before we even published one word, we spent three years uh, in every one of the blue zones checking birth certificates. So th there's a birth certificate, and not only checking the birth certificates, uh, in many cases verifying it by looking at the baptismal record. And a demographer named Michel Poulon did that work. So we have a very firm base on, on uh, all blue zones, uh, they have very good birth records. In fact, better birth records in Costa Rica, for example, than the United States. We're all, you know, make it very easy in Costa Rica. When you're born, you're given a sequential number. Um, so it's kind of impossible to um, you know, lie about your age because you're born, you're given this, this, you know, an ID number that is uh, the guy who was born five minutes before you gets a lower number and the guy born five minutes after you gets a higher number. So you can't all of a sudden say, um, what was, so what was the other, um, 
what was the other um, problem or whatever? Um, the oh, that, oh, yeah, that, okay, right, right, poverty. So right. um, two things. First of all, in every one of the blue zones, they're kind of, they're deteriorating. The way people are living today was not the way they were living uh, in the year 2000 even, or even 2010. And my work was mostly um, uh, synthesizing studies that have been done in these blue zones up to about the year 2000, because then things changed. Uh, And so if you look at Okinawa today, Okinawa in the year 2000 had the longest lived population in the history of the world. That was according to the World Health Organization, published paper. In 2020, they have the highest rates of obesity and diabetes and actually the lowest health of any prefecture in Japan. So if a demographer or if one of these people writing the paper goes to Okinawa today and looks at them, of course, they're going to draw, what the hell, these blue zones are a bunch of BS. But we're we captured a population that lived longer than any other human and then capture what was done in a human lifetime um, in those populations. So that's where most of my work is done. In Sardinia okay. and Costa Rica, the blue zones persist as they do among the Seventh-day Adventists. So, so you're, you're saying that you you did adequate work uh, to uh, to validate the birth certificates of the people you were you were looking at. And just having known your work from afar and your reputation amongst people who know you personally, because the number of people who are doing longevity work is not that large, like real hardcore longevity work. Um, you have a stellar reputation. Your motivations are, are exactly in the right place. Um, and I, I, I greatly respect that. Uh, and so I, I'm, I'm willing to believe you where, where you say, okay, you know, we validated this to the, to the extent possible. And like, there's a whole bunch of people who've gone back and all this, and there's actually a whole group of, it, yeah. it's a tribe, a tribe that behaves kind of like the the people who do the editing on Wikipedia. Like, like it, it's a group of like kind of insular, kind of arguing to see who's right sort of things, who will go in and try and validate stuff like that. So you went you went down the path with your populations, and and you came up with these results. And I'm I'm mystified because I didn't come up with these results when I look at it mechanistically. Um. But I, I'm still intrigued by by your work and your perspective on it. So thanks for answering the question. How long are you going to live? Well, you know, if you look at the trends, uh, life expectancy since about 1840 has gone up two years per per decade. And I think I do all the right things. You know, I get enough physical activity. I'm socially active. I don't have a lot of stress in my life. I don't smoke. Uh, you know, I believe a whole food plant-based diet with very little animal products is, is the way to go. I eat that way. Um, so, you know, if you look at the, if, if you look at the life tables for me, my life expectancy should be about 92, but I'm, I'm in my sixties right now. And if I get that extra two years per decade that we've seen historically, I should hit a hundred. And uh, I, yeah. And, you know, I may be around for one of, uh, you know, some heroic intervention, that you're closer to than I am, uh, that may just come along and, you know, extend my life another, you know, I don't know, a hundred years. Do you run like anti-aging or age measurement lab tests? Do you know your true age? Have you had stem cells, uh, any of the, the, no, I don't, I I think there's more danger in those things than there are actually. 
I, especially stem cells. Um, Mike Roizen just wrote a great book um, called The Great Age Reboot. And I, he's a respect, Cleveland Clinic. And um, he wrote a, a, a great book about those interventions and really outlines the dangers of them, you know, as well as the promise. So there's, a, there's some danger with those um, it, interventions. It's really interesting because some of the things – uh, some of the things that that are strongest in favor of a very low meat diet uh, comes down to a couple amino acids, and you don't get into the mechanistics, but I do. And if you're eating um, animal protein, specifically methionine, which is an amino acid that's more common in animal protein, um, and uh, tryptophan, um, these things will raise a compound called mTOR. Um, and the theory goes that if you have more of those, uh, then mTOR, which causes growth in tissues, um, would be higher, and therefore your cancer risk would be higher. Um, and that's one of the reasons intermittent fasting seems to be important. And I think you'll also find a fasting practice is common in a lot of your blue zones as well. It's not you a practice. Know? It's it was an involuntary. <laughs> okay. Intermittent fasting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, they, they did real fasting. Every one of the blue zones, I'd say, suffered a fast. But you're right; fasting was part of their their um, their history. So it's like it's this interesting puzzle. It's like a big Rubik's cube. I don't know if we're ever going to solve it all for everyone because there's probably individual stuff here. There are some people where, like Dave, I tried it, I don't feel good, and there are many other people who say, "Yes, I tried it, I feel good." It's not going to be the same for everyone. Um, but the principles of fewer toxins, don't eat ultra processed foods. I think we're in very firm agreement on that one, Dan. Yes, I, I violently agree. Uh, the processed food is at the core, is the word, and probably sugar, refined sugars. I think those two things are the number one and number two scoundrels in our diet. And um, the other what, stuff, I, it's fine too. What, what about seed oils like canola and soy and corn? Are those better than sugar or worse than sugar in terms of your? It's hard to say, but they're not good. Yeah. Um, I, I only use olive oil. Yep. Um, One of the things that blew me away as I was going through your recipes in here, you had a crust. Of course, it had gluten in it that I'm not a fan of. You had a crust that was made out of tallow. I, I think you probably found the only animal product in there. And <laughs> I, I, I had the... Um, you know, I try to be journalistically honest about these things. You know, this was a, a food uh, archaeologist who recreating a Thanksgiving, well, an early 17th century meal. Yeah. Uh, and um, yeah, those you, they didn't they didn't have coconut oil there. That's why I put coconut oil as, as the alternative. People in blue zones did eat um, meat. Uh, they did eat cheese. They did eat some butter. Well, not really butter, not cows, more sheep. And, and I, I guess the, uh, sheep and uh, goat, it's because sheep and goat are cheaper. Those are more poverty animals than, than yeah, cows. Yeah. The cow, the, almost no cows in any blue zones, but, um, the, you know, my main work, Dave, um, I get hired by insurance companies. I, I have a company of 200 people and we go into cities and we help, change the environment rather than changing people's behaviors. And when you're dealing with talking to whole populations of people, you can't, you can't be, it's hard to be nuanced. You have to be very simple. 
And for the Blue Zone brand, I've made the decision that we only promote whole food, plant-based. We know people are going to get meat in their everyday life, but we, when eating sort of the Blue Zones way, we, we put forth the whole food, plant-based, knowing that people might slip some cheese or some butter or some meat in these recipes. But the base recipes uh, taste maniacally delicious, and they're 100% whole food, plant-based. Uh, they take less than a half hour to make, and um, you know they are the core of the longevity diets from around the world. So, if the populations in these areas ate as much meat as they could get, they just didn't have very much meat, and they were eating it five times a month um, on average, and probably some months during you know the end of the season when you're going to harvest an animal or something, they ate more than because they didn't. Correct. It was it was done seasonally. Um, with all of that stuff, are you a little concerned that that which would have been a precious food to them is just missing from a whole food plant-based diet? Well, their meat consumption has quintupled. And at the same time, their, their chronic disease rates have skyrocketed and their life expectancy has plummeted. Now, again, that's just a correlation. Yeah. Uh, and also what's also entered their diet is a lot more processed food. So they, they got jugs of corn oil at the same time they got more meat is that that's always the confounding. That's correct. That's that's correct. That. But it's hard to know what, uh, you know, we do know that uh, the standard American diet, which is includes about 140 pounds of meat per person per year. And uh, about, I'm sorry, 220 pounds, 140 pounds of sugar per person per year. And these inflammatory oils, we know it's killing us. We know it's driving about two, tr two trillion. It's hard to know which of those components are doing the most damage. If you look at the Adventist Health Study, again, followed 103,000 Americans for 30 years, you see pretty clearly the people who are either 100% plant-based or eating some fish, the pescatarians, they have, they're living the longest with the lowest rates of disease, and they also have the healthiest weight. They weigh about 20 pounds less. So there's probably some epidemiology study that shows that people eat a lot of meat are healthier. I'm not aware of it. But, um, you know, I'm, you, you know, your specialty, and you're a lot better at it than me, is knowing these sort of micronutrients and uh, how they interact with our genes and our bodies. And um, uh, I, I don't know that science as well as I know the population science. So I, I generally speak in you know, here's what these populations do. I think we both agree that it's smarter to try, you know, different foods that work best for us, but, you know, pay attention from both camps of research and, and draw your own conclusions because it's your life. You're, you're totally right. It is your life. And, and I, I've run the gamut because I, I very much have, have tried all these different diets to find what worked. And, and I would have rather not written a diet book, except I just realized I thought I, I and I, I still believe that I found you know, some, some gaps in our understandings that we could take advantage of around certain buttons that get pushed for certain people. Um, and I, I'm always tormented because I'll see one paper that says one thing and I'll see another paper that says the opposite thing. Yeah. Right? And, and so many people listening are so confused right now. Right. And th the end of the day is you can tease out on some papers, you know, if it's funded by um, uh, animal rights terrorist group, then maybe they didn't have health 
they had manipulation of your behavior as as part of their agenda. Or if it's funded by, you know, the American Meat and Dairy Association, assuming there is yeah, the Cattlemen's Association. Right. And and so you can look at funding. Um, and then at the end of the day, you can read through the papers if you have the knowledge and understanding to do that. Uh, and what I just found was for me to survive and even to thrive, I had to do that. And I was willing to do it. And I, I still see confounding papers. And then I look for, okay, was there a mistake? And then sometimes there's pockets of populations. There's so much we don't know. The fear of making a mistake nutritionally keeps a lot of people from stepping up. And what I want to say here is you look like you're reasonably healthy. You haven't run the anti-aging panels um, where we can compare numbers. And even if we did, you're an N of one, I'm an N of one, we're, we're small studies. But everyone listening is a small study. Like, it's totally fine. Go eat a whole bunch of beans and see how it works. And, and, and use a good recipe because I don't want to turn you off to them. That's a fair point. Make sure that you don't just toss them in a pan, boil them and eat them. And the same thing with rice, like you rinse it, you steam it. So there's nothing wrong with preparing foods to make them more nutrient available and less toxic for us. And like, that's a core part of human behavior forever. Knowing how to do that well for beans, it'd be really in your interests, right? I really appreciate your time, Dan. It was fantastic finally connecting with you. Thank you for the work you're doing and to tease out what works for people. Have a wonderful day. And guys, Blue Zones, American Kitchens, this new book. Thank you very much, Dave. And I look forward to meeting you in uh, Austin. Yes. And if you come to Miami, mi casa is tu casa. Ah, uh, thank you. I'll come on over. As long as you don't mind a little meat in the corner of your fridge, we'll be good. Uh, that's all right. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll cordon off a section. Really a joy to meet you. And thank you for the lively conversation. Uh, thanks, my brother. All right. Have a, have a great day. You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.